if I haven't got to meet you yet, my name is Cody Wason, and I have the honor of serving around here as the lead pastor, and, oh, hello, and, uh, was that you, Kate? Oh, wow. Hey, let's go. I received that. I was, I've never heard that scream out of my wife before. That was, <laughs> well, happy spring break week for some. Uh, those of you that are on spring break and you're here, honored, uh, thank you, and uh, I am excited to continue uh, the series that we're in right now called Brick by Brick, uh, and this series has a mission statement. And so here's what we're going after tonight, once again, as, as we are every week. We are focusing on the values and the disciplines that we can build into our life brick by brick that build personal community and city revival. You with me? All right, we're, before I jump into tonight... Um, I want to just pause and highlight two things that I want to draw your attention to, two things that are happening uh, in, in our church family. Uh, this week, if you are a family, doesn't matter how old your kids are, if you're about to have kids, we invite you to join us. All of our family uh, life groups are coming together um, for all families life groups starting this Thursday night right here in this building. We're actually going to meet in our breakout rooms that we do kids in on Sundays and I would love to see you there. It's going to be an incredible time of just being re-envisioned for what we're all about and just meeting families in different uh, uh, demographics and, and seasons of life. So I would encourage and, and even ask you to come be a part of, of this. We're going to be doing it for the next couple months every other Thursday, and it should be a really incredible time. And uh, secondly, I want to draw your attention to, um, in two Sundays from now, uh, we are having our Welcome to the Family Night and uh, right after service, if you are, have been checking us out, coming for a while, if, if you're interested in learning more about what, uh, what, we, what we believe and what our vision is, what we feel like God's speaking and what we're all about, would love to host you uh, for a little bit after, directly after the service ends right here in one of our breakout rooms. Families, we'd love for you to come as well. Uh, we'd love for you to register so we know and make sure we have enough space and all that good stuff. And just a, a little PSA for, for families, we know that when, when church ends, it's dinner time, and, uh, and kids need to eat. And so there's an option, when you, when you register, you can just click a little button, uh, pay five bucks, and we'll have dinner covered uh, for your kiddos, and then for the adults, we'll have a little something-something. We won't have a full dinner, though, but would love to get a chance to meet you and uh, just share a little bit more with, uh, with you about what we're all about. All right, brick by brick. Uh, if you were here last week, I hope you, uh, if you weren't, that you'll check it out on our, uh, on our platforms. You can check it out on, um, on iTunes and all the, the, on our website, AntiochSLC.info. But we were blessed to have Kendall Laughlin, who's a member of our board of advisors and a church planner with our Antioch Church in San Diego, was in town. And he gave an incredible message uh, talking about what is revival, what is this thing that we're believing for. Uh, we we're talking about it. We're talking about believing for personal revival uh, that leads to a community of people that are in revival, that bleeds over and see that sees a city revived. What does that actually look like? What are we actually believing for? And I love Kendall's definition of revival. Here it is. It is being completely immersed in the awareness of the presence of God. When you and I live completely saturated, like complete, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to like do an, like, like, like completely dripping with this awareness of who God is and what He's doing in our life and what He's calling us to be a part of. When we do that, that's called revival. 
Because everything else starts to get a, a little bit smaller. And the goodness and the holiness and the bigness of God becomes magnified in our heart and in our life. That's revival. To be people and to be a church that's completely immersed with an awareness of the presence of God and what He's doing. That's what we talk about when we talk about revival. Now, I have to be honest, um, I was going in a different direction tonight uh, when I planned out this series. Um, I had a whole different message planned. But last week, uh, at the end of the service, uh, Kendall was wrapping up, and I was backstage. And in the flow of one of his sentences, he said the word radical. It wasn't like the point of of the sentence. It wasn't the point of what he was saying. He just casually used the word radical in a sentence. And it stuck with me. And I remember it stuck with me when I was backstage. I couldn't shake it. All week, I couldn't shake it. I'm trying to prepare, and I'm asking God for a a specific message for tonight. And every time I would pray, every time I would open up Scripture, every time I I would sit down, I would just be drawn back to this moment backstage where he said the word radical, and it just hit my heart. And so eventually I just was like, okay, I got to stop trying to prepare a different message. Because there's something else here for us. So this is going to be, this is a little bit me shooting from the hip tonight. This is a little bit me just going with God on this. Because I think he's got something for this group of people tonight for our church around this idea of radical. All right, two of you are with me. You guys are radical. (laughs) But here we go. When you think of the word radical, it can be used in, in a negative context. It can be used in a positive. It can be used to describe people that are just kind of, especially politically, you think of these political radicals or these people that just, they're just off the rocker. And they're just radical and they're not, they're not mainstream and, 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 and it's just a negative uh, connotation. Uh, it can also be used as a positive thing. Like, that's so radical. <laughs> that's, so, that's so rad. <laughs> eh, no, no, radical. I'm not going with rad. Again, I'm, shoot, I'm shooting from the hip here. But when we talk about radical, like when we start thinking about it in the context of church, we start thinking about it in the context of, of, of it in the positive, not just mainstream, not normal, just, just a little bit different, a little bit, uh, just taking it up a little bit, just being, all, just, just being a radical believer, being a radical disciple of Jesus, having a radical faith. That's what I feel like God highlighted Uh, for tonight, that you and I, as we believe for this revival in our personal lives, we we believe for revival in this church, and we believe for revival in this city, that we've got to have a radical faith. Okay. So I guess uh, the point of that moment was radical is good. When we use the term radical here tonight, I'm not talking about, oh, there's the uh, these kind of, uh, kind, of, kind of weird people to the side, and then why don't they just go and do mainstream stuff? I'm talking about being, like, being radical in your belief of who, of who God is and what he wants to do in your life. Be having a radical faith that, who, that what you believe will actually affect how you live. A radical faith that the promises of Scripture are real and that you can grab hold of them and that your life can look different than it did before you followed Jesus. If you're in the room tonight and you're a follower of Jesus, sometimes I think we just have to ask the question, does my life look any different than it used to? Does my life look different at all from when I didn't follow Jesus? I'm going to talk about why for, for, for some of us that just, 
that, 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 that transition takes a, a little bit longer because it's some things we're unaware of. But we're called to live a radical Christian life. You were not made for normal. You were not made for boring. You were not made for every Sunday run-of-the-mill stuff. You were not made for rule. Like you, were just, you were made for an adventure with a radical God who has radical promises, and you can live a radical life of believing that those are for you. So that's where we're going tonight. A couple of months ago, I, uh, I had the honor, uh, along with a couple other people in this room from staff, uh, we were in San Diego for World Mandate West, and um, we had this leaders lunch with some other leaders from this different churches around the country, around the movement, and we had the honor of hearing from Francis Chan. And it was one of those, it was one of those moments where like, Francis didn't prepare anything. They just were like, he's in the middle of, of biting into his Chick-fil-A sandwich, and they're like, hey, Francis, here's a mic like, inspire us type deal. If you don't know who Francis Chan is, he is uh, um, a pretty well-known uh, figure, at least in America. He's a pastor and a preacher and an author. He start, he basically, I, I mean, I, I just admire him in a lot of ways. He, he started a church, and it got really successful. And he was like, these people love me way too much. This church is way too much about me. And he just left. And was like, you know, you know, don't buy a building. Just go meet in a park. Give your money away. Live the gospel. I'm going to go write books because this thing's built around me, and that's not okay. And so he is just a man of honor. And so uh, he started sharing uh, um, the story of the trajectory of his life uh, in, in Christ, his relationship. And he, he, he shared about how when he was a kid, he had this, like, innocent, pure, holy faith this trust that when he would read scripture and it would say something, that he actually believed in what it said and trusted it and was like, I'm going to do it. And, and, and so here you go, you have young Francis, I don't remember exactly what age, I'm going to put it between like 8 and 12, somewhere in that ra uh, range. You have young Francis Chan who's given his life to Jesus, he's like, I want to follow you, and he's reading scripture, and he's just trying to, to read it and obey it and believe it and trust it, and so he reads the passage uh, where uh, it says, with the faith of a mustard, uh, mustard seed, you can move mountains, and, and so he tells the story of how he would go in his room and close the door and go, well, surely if my faith can move mountains, I can move my bed, and so there's young Francis, just this pure, innocent, like, why wouldn't this be true? If I can move mountains, I can at least, okay, the bed's not really happening for me. What about the pillow? At least a pin, something. He just had this, like, this is what it says, and I'm going to do it. And we wonder why, why Jesus, like, says, like, the kingdom of, of heaven belongs to, to, to these, like, children. Just this innocent, like, I, tr I trust this. Why, why, wouldn't, why would this not be real? Why would this not be true? Why would I say I believe it but not actually trust it? And so Francis begins to tell the story of how as he grew up in the church and he got older and, 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 and eventually would become a leader and then eventually a pastor and a church planner and an author, that over the course of just growing up, just the, the slow moving of years and, and his maturation, he used the term reduce. That everything about faith and everything about reading Scripture and just believing it and obeying it, everywhere it was just being reduced. Sometimes it was in his own mind. Sometimes it was people telling him things like, hey, you know, when you read Scripture and it says uh, uh, that, that the, the, the Holy Spirit will come, will come on you in power to be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the very ends of the earth. They'd say things like, ah, that's not what it really means. Like, let's just... It doesn't really mean, like, it'll come on you. Or you don't actually have, like, power. 
And he just talked about how as he grew up and he got older, like all these things that he used to be like, this is, this is, uh, this is it. I'm going to believe it. I'm going to live for it. I'm going to trust God at his word. Everything o- over time was just reduced. Uh, the Bible, does, it doesn't actually mean that. He doesn't actually mean you'll do greater things than he, that's not what he actually meant. And here's a grown man, one of the most famous uh, uh, preachers and pastors in America, just, just looking at us and basically saying, I just got tired of every one, even myself, just opening up scripture and being like, how reasonable can I make it? Like, this has to be reasonable. You see, we're called to a radical life, but so many of us, whether it's just the slow progression of years, if you've grown up in the church or around church or around religion at all, you, you just, this slow progression uh, where radical gets reduced to reasonable. And then you have people that join a church full of other people that have been following God for, for decades or for their whole life, and they enter into a church, and what their normal is, is reasonable. And so you've got people, whether they've been following God for decades or whether you're here and you're like, I don't even know why I'm here. I'm just checking this thing out. That the status quo for so many churches and for so many people and so many believers is a reasonable faith. Let's just be reasonable. Let's have a reasonable church. Let's have a reasonable service. Let's not be too crazy. And, and just over time, our radical that, that like, why, why can't God do what he promised? Well, he promised he'd be with me. He promised he could lead me and guide me. His scripture says that he'll comfort me. His scripture says I can approach his throne with confidence. That he's going to give me what I need in my time of need. I all, I, wait, okay, oh, let's just be reasonable. That's not how we do things. Well, let's just be reasonable. Let's just do our best, hope for the best, but not really expect the best. And so much of, of Christian walk, uh, for so many people, what they're exposed to or what they're living in is like a, I have a reasonable faith. I believe in God, believe in Jesus, believe in the cross. But let's just not get too crazy. Let's not get too radical here. Can I say, I don't want a reasonable church. I don't, I don't, we're not believing for a reasonable revival When we're praying for moves and miracles, I'm not praying for a reasonable move, something that makes sense. God, would you please move in our city, in our family? Would you heal my wife? As long as it's reasonable, as long as it doesn't take anything, as long as it's not messy, as long as I understand everything you're doing, I don't want a reasonable church. I don't want people to come in here and, and as they leave go, that was a very reasonable service. Look at, they got me out, they got me out on time. I can go get my dinner. What a reasonable group of people. I don't want to leave a reasonable legacy for my kids. I don't want my kids when they're older, when they're talking about, hey, tell me about your mom and dad. Tell me about your dad's faith. I don't want Eleanor and Shepard to go, well, my dad, he, man, he believed God for stuff. Unless it was a little crazy, and then he just tried to do it his own, on his own. My dad, man, had so much faith for little things. I mean, the big stuff, he really didn't really try to, he just didn't have much for that. But man, you give him something small and reasonable, and he'll believe for it. I don't want to model that for my kids. I don't believe we're called as believers to be reasonable. Now, hear, hear me. I am not, disc- I'm not rejecting reason. I am not rejecting intellect. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
I'm not rejecting wisdom, but you can, be, you can have reason and be radical for what you believe for. You can have wisdom and use your intellect and use the, the brain that God gave you to understand him and to fall more in love with him and be unreasonable with the way you have faith for him moving in impossible ways. So we don't re- we're not rejecting intellect or reason. We're just saying, hey, let's be a, let's be a radical church. And as I hope to share here, I don't think I'm like bringing us into something new. I think I'm calling us back to who we're always supposed to be. I think I'm bringing us back to our roots as believers. So let's define, if I'm talking about radical faith, let's define what faith is. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Hebrews 11 and stay there. We're going to camp out there tonight. Hebrews 11.1, now confidence Now faith. Sorry, my notes are written wrong. (laughs) Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for. Let's stop there. It's confidence in what we hope for. So you can't have faith without hope. I think tonight around the room, people need to start hoping again. Here's what happens. We believe in God. We believe. We, 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 we say, yes, I believe God. He made me, and I believe in the cross. I believe in Jesus. Uh, uh, and, and there's this disconnect between uh, uh, belief and faith. Did you know you can believe in God but not have faith in God? You know you can believe and not put your trust in? James 2 uh, puts it this way, kind of uh, uh, um, stinging a little bit. It little stings a little bit. James 2 says, oh, you have you have the faith, uh, you, you, you believe, you believe there's one God, and I'm paraphrasing here because it's not in my notes. Again, I'm shooting from the hip. I forgot to put it in my notes. I put it in theirs, but not mine. Oh, you believe there's, there's one God? Good for you. Even the demons believe that, and they tremble. So uh, uh, there's, a, there's a pastor of a church you're going to hear from in a few minutes. I'm going to share it with you, uh, of a church in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and his name's Michael Todd. And, yeah, especially our young people, man. He's amazing. He's an entertainer, but he has got truth to, to, to speak to the body of Christ. Um, he, he, and he did a series called Crazy Faith, and I'm actually going to show you a clip of it here in a few minutes. But he says that, I mean, when I, when, when I was watching this message, I had to pause it and just kind of do one of mercy. When he said, how is it? That so many of our churches and so many of our believers have the same faith level as demons. What's that say about a church? Well, I believe in God. You can believe and not have faith. So many of us need to reignite hope because here's what we get stuck in. We believe God, but we haven't put our trust in it. We believe the promises. Intellectually, we agree, yes, I believe he's got good things for me. I believe he, he, he wants uh, to provide for me. I believe he wants to lead me. I believe he wants to guide me. I believe he wants to come for me. But I don't actually trust that. I believe it, but I don't trust it. And so I'm, I, I, I'm stuck in this place where I'm not actually going to believe for it or have faith for it. So I'm going to go try and get those things on my own. I'm going to try to get my own leadership. I'm going to try to get my own comfort because I don't actually trust in what I believe God to do. And so we get stuck when, that stu- when our, our attempts to fill the gap don't work. 
And so our lives don't work, and our relationships don't work, and we get stuck in, why would I hope? Why would I hope that my marriage could get better? Why would I hope that my job could ever get better? Why would I hope that my kids would ever uh, come back to Jesus, or or our relationship would be restored? Why would I hope that there's breakthrough for me, because I haven't seen it? It didn't happen last time. I, I had hope last time that this relationship would work, and it didn't. And I had a hope last time that I was doing the right thing and going down the right path, and it didn't. And so we step back, and we don't have hope anymore. And we, we get stuck in, I guess this is my portion. Why would, things just don't get better. Yeah, I believe God, and I go to church. I sing the songs, and I go to small groups, and I go to all this stuff. But, like, my marriage is what it is. And my hopelessness is what it is. And, and my fear and my, and, and my sin struggle, they just are what they are, and I'm just going to have to learn to deal with it. And we get stuck, and we just stop hoping. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, if you want to have faith, you better hope. Because faith is the confidence in what you hope for. Faith is the confidence that what you're hoping for, God will actually do. If you stop hoping that things will get better, how can you have faith that God will be who he said he'll be? You've already said he's not because you stopped hoping. And I know this is hard, and I know this is painful, and I know that we've been burned before because you tried and you were hopeful, but it didn't happen and it didn't work. But I'm telling you, the the scripture and the heart of heaven for you is to hope again, that we would be ridiculously addicted to hope because without it, we can't have faith. Hebrews 11, one, keep, uh, when we keep going, faith is the assurance in what we do not see. All I'll say on that is if you can see it, touch it, plan it, force it, or do it, it's not faith. If you can see it, touch it, plan it, force it, do it, it's not faith. So here we go. Um, I just think Michael Todd in this message does an incredible job of illustrating the difference between faith and belief and calling us to something higher as believers. As I was preparing for this message, again, this is kind of like shooting from the hip. I'm like, Lord, what what do we do here? As I'm praying, he reminds me of this this sermon that my mother texted me about like five months ago. I remember getting the text. I'm at the gym, and she's like, this is incredible. Check this guy out. And I'm like, who is Michael Todd? No. Okay, yeah, I will, Mom. Love you. I think I went and watched like the first two minutes, and I was like, this guy is amazing, but a little, okay, a little much. And I went back to what I was doing. So there I am, I'm praying, I'm like, Lord, what do I, okay, faith and belief, faith and belief. And I feel so, like, Lord, like, remember that sermon your mom texted you about five months ago? Go watch it. And I did, and I would recommend you go watch it too. In fact, you should go watch the whole series called Crazy Faith. Here's a clip from uh, Crazy Faith, Pastor Mike Todd. It's going to be about five minutes long, six minutes long, illustrating the difference between, as believers, believing something and uh, believing in God and putting our faith in God. Let's roll the clip. There's actually a formula to faith. And I just found it out the past three years, and I want to share it with you. Write this down. The faith formula is intellectual agreement plus trust equal faith. I'm going to break it down. This is like an algebra problem, and I know some of y'all stop math at algebra, so (laughs) let's just keep going. It's intellectual agreement 
plus trust equals faith. So intellectual agreement is believing something to be true. Yeah, I believe that's true. Like in my intellect, in my thoughts, I believe that's true. But trust is actually relying on the fact that something is true. Now, let me help you understand this. Would we all intellectually agree that these are chairs? I said, do we agree that these are chairs? We agree that they were built and constructed to hold people up. We, we agree that, that, that people could stand on these, sit on these, do different things in these chairs. We all believe intellectually that these are chairs. Um, bro, come here. Yeah, come here. What's your name, dog? What did you say? Gerard? Ow, okay, ow, okay, ow. Um, Gerard, could you, what are these? The chairs? Which one of these chairs do you trust? Now, Gerard, he said he trusts this chair. Why do you trust this chair, Gerard? Uh, well, for my size, you're going to go with the best bet. What if I told you that both chairs are able to hold you up? What if I told you that intellectually these were both built to, and designed to hold up more weight than you are carrying? Which chair would you choose? <laughs> see, see, he still chose this because he intellectually agreed that they're both chairs, but he only had trust in one of them. There are too many believers that intellectually agree that Jesus is God, that, that God can do miracles, but they won't put their weight on it. And the problem is, if you don't intellectually agree and put your weight on it, you don't actually have faith in it. And so many people in this room are like, God can do miracles, but you haven't received the miracle because you won't put your weight on it. You do believe that God can bless somebody else, but he's not going to bless you because you know he can do that, but you won't put your weight on it. So what if I told you that this chair is God's will for your life? He was like, oh, all right. <laughs> like, this is God's will for your life. I know this looks sure. <laughs> I know this looks more sturdy. But this is God's will for your life. Which chair, like for real in your heart, do you trust the most? Me, like me, like you're talking to me. Come on, be honest, which trail, like if you could choose what chair you're going to sit in, which chair would you sit in? Just like most of us, that when God shows you his will for our life or a piece of it, and it doesn't look like what we think can hold us up, it doesn't look like it's going to happen on our timetable, it doesn't look like the man or the woman that we wanted, we would still choose the thing that we want over God's will for us. Ooh, I'm preaching. Tell me your name one more time. Gerard. Gerard, what if you've seen God do it for somebody else? What? I mean, I know we don't have the same situation. But you just watched somebody put their weight 
or have intellectual agreement and trust or faith that it will hold me up? Does this still keep you thinking that this chair is your best option? Nah, I mean. You mean you'll sit in it? Now, now why would you sit in it? This is how faith works. If, if the world could ever see a church who actually put their full weight on the promises of God, on what he said we can have, on the abundant life that he called us to, maybe somebody who would never believe would have the faith to sit down. So, Robert, take a seat. Now, let me help you. How much energy and time did Gerard waste standing when he could have been sitting? All right. Hey, I know I'm not Michael Todd, but I mean, they were standing and they were shouting. Hey, you guys just go for it. Stand up. There you go, Jacob. <laughs> Hey, say what you will, that dude can preach, and, uh, and I'm a fan. I would really encourage you guys to check him out. Check out Transformation Church in Tulsa if you're ever there, and check out the Crazy Face series. But what, I mean, what an illustration that hits at the heart of so much of, uh, uh, for us as believers uh, uh, where we get stuck because we would say, yeah, I agree with that scripture, I agree with that promise, but then our life doesn't reflect it. Because your life's going to reflect whatever you're actually trusting in. If I follow you around for a week or a month and I just watch the decisions you make, how you respond, what's your priorities, you're gonna, you, you live out of what you trust. And then here's the kicker. We get, we get so frustrated because we come and we sit in church or we have our, our, our quiet time. We spend time with God and we're like, I believe. And then we go throughout our day trusting in ourselves or trusting in someone else to do the very thing he's promised, but because we won't, as Michael said, put our weight on it or get some skin in the game and actually trust what we believe, then we're, we get frustrated because our life isn't looking like what we thought it would because, you know, hey, when I, when I believe, when I believe in God, shouldn't my life look different? When I acknowledge that, I mean, it's 2020. It's crazy talk out there now to say, I believe there's a God. Shouldn't my life, like, shouldn't I get something for it? I believe. We're called to not only believe, but to put our trust in what we believe and, that, and align our lives to what we're believing and what we're trusting, that our lives would look different and we'd be called those that have faith. Hebrews 11, when I said to camp out there, I meant it, because we're about to read all of it, all of Hebrews 11. If I can just, there we go. Hebrews 11, I think, is, is a beautifully written piece on our heritage as believers. Here it is. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. 
This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Now here we go. As we go through this hall of faith as it's called, every time you hear faith, you should hear Michael Todd saying it's intellectual agreement plus trust. So with intellectual agreement plus trust, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offering. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. Quote, he could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about the things not seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. And by his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of that same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was unable to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good, and he as, good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were, st- were still living by faith when they died. Oh, Lord, would it be said of me that I'm living by faith when I die? They did not receive the things promised. They saw them from and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. But instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him that it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of of Joseph's sons and worshiped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus and the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw that he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as a greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah. 
and David and Samuel. I thought that was something on my page. Uh, and, and, and the prophets who, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouth of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released, that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated, and the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. You just read a whole chapter of the Bible. The hall of faith. It's in our blood. It runs in our blood. Not being reasonable. Stepping out on the limb. I mean, just read the list. Just bullet point it. I mean, Noah was belittled and ridiculed. Abraham didn't know where he was going. He was like a stranger. Sarah had to believe in the absolutely impossible. Abraham uh, was asked to risk and sacrifice the very promise that God had had made to him. Moses' parents risked death. Moses chose to be mistreated and disgraced by those who had raised him. People were killed, imprisoned, stoned, sawed, and they wandered around in sheepskins, goatskins, persecuted and mistreated. And they are no different than you and I. We might not have to wander in goatskins. In the name of Jesus, we do not have to wander in goatskins. But these were just people that had a choice whether to trust what they believed about God, to live radically when other people were like, that's not reasonable. Why would you build an ark? We've never even heard of rain. That's not a thing. Your God's asking you to sacrifice your son? That's messed up. That's not even reasonable. Why would you do that? Don't do that. You're going to get killed. You're going to die. They could, they could throw you in prison. Your friends might not like you anymore. You might lose your, your Instagram followers. Your family might not understand. We're given the same choice to live radically in faith, trusting, and not just believing that God will do what he's promised to do and be who he's promised to be. Radical faith is going to come at a radical cost. If you read chapter 11 of Hebrews over and over, living radically for Jesus, having radical faith, always will require a radical cost. It's different for each of us. I don't know what that cost looks like for you, but it's going to cost us something to gain Jesus. Like, him. Like not the hymn that we've like sung about when we're in our hopelessness, not faith, no trust, no belief, just like, you know, I'll sing about him, but I don't really know if he'll actually show up. And I, but like to receive him in his fullness, to have faith that actually changes the way we live, it's going to cost us something. And I'll just throw this one out there. Radical faith in 2020, you're going to need radical friends. Be careful who you let speak into your process with Jesus. There's a lot of good-hearted, amazing people that are really reasonable about Jesus. you got to be careful who you let speak into your journey. 
your radical faith, and I'm going to end with this. Your radical faith isn't just for you. It's not just so that you can experience more of God. It's not just so that you can, can encounter God in a deeper way, fall more in love, count Him as worthy of all of the costs. It's not just so you can have these encounters. It's for other people. I had, a, I had several short stories I was going to tell, but I'm running short on time. I'm just going to share two of them. On nutshell one, when I was 17 years old, I decided to go all in with Jesus. I was sitting in my locker a weekend of uh, junior year. I, by going all in in Jesus, I had lost my girlfriend. Oh, no. I always thought it was the end of the world. She was not interested in Jesus, and so we were done. My friends were not interested in following Jesus, so we were done. I remember uh, showing up junior year, sitting in my locker, and literally being like, I, there's no one here that, like, I, that likes me or wants to be like, this is awful. And I'm like, okay, I can do this. God, what are you speaking? And, and he spoke something very clearly. And it's the, a much longer story, but it led me to dropping out of high school, led me to going to community college. It led me to uh, helping establish what, uh, a prayer room in a city called Elgin that I would spend all my free time in and, 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 and meet with Jesus. And he would speak directionally over my life, change the trajectory of my life, got me to Baylor, got me to Antioch, got me to my wife, got me to Salt Lake City. Long story. So, yes, living radically. I mean, it was radical to go to my parents and say, I think God wants me to drop out of high school. Like, yeah, I know I'm supposed to do the ACT and the SAT, and this is the year where you start planning college. I know it's a big deal, but, like, hey, it took a lot of faith on their part to sit with me with my guidance counselor as she looked at me and said, this is, e this is either going to be the best or worst decision you've ever made in your life. I can't wait to find out. She said those words. I cannot wait to find out. I don't remember her, but if you're listening... It turned out. But you're, you're radi living radically is for other people too. It's not just so you can have cool stories or like, oh, I'm, I'm like in the will of God for myself. Yes, that's great and that's needed. But, but I was walking down Baylor's campus uh, down, uh, down, the, down the, the, the street that kind of cut down the middle. And uh, I'm a 20-year-old I'm a kid. I'm, I'm, I'm working on this muscle called hearing and obeying. And as I'm walking down campus, the Lord starts speaking to my heart. He says, you need to call your sister. This is exactly what he said. I'll never forget. You need to call your sister, tell her to quit her job, pack up her car, and move to Waco to go to church with you because I have something for her here. Now, what you don't know is my sister, who's four years older, we didn't have a relationship. She was living her dream life. She went to school, got her dream job in her dream city, which is, which is Chicago, downtown, heart of everything. I mean, living her dream. And about two years before this, the last conversation we had about God, we were sitting there and I, I mentioned the name of, of Jesus and she got up and said, if you want me to be a part of conversations, you will not bring up Jesus, God, or the church. I don't want to hear about it. And she walked out. That was the last time we had talked about God. And here I am, sure that the devil is somehow speaking to me, saying, yeah, call your sister. You haven't talked to her in a couple of years, really. Tell her that God wants, you know, I'm just like, this for sure is not God. But it was. And I'll never forget calling her with my heart beating so fast and just, hey, I'm so sorry, Megan. Uh, don't hate me, but uh, I was praying and, uh, and, and, and God said to call you and invite you to quit your job and pack up your car and move to Waco and go to church with me because he has something for you here. And, she, and there was silence on the other line and then she hung up. And then she called me back and she said, okay, I'm in. And what I didn't know is just before this phone call, so a brief time before, 
she found herself laying on the floor of a bathroom, coming off of whatever she had done the night before. She, and, she, and she, in her in her state that she was in, she prayed and she said, God, I don't even think you're real. Let's be honest. But I've given the world a shot and I'm miserable and I hate my life. I'll give you a shot. I don't even think you're real, though. You're going to have to come get me. I got to watch my sister move to Waco, and she hated it. I mean, just. And I got to watch her give her life to Jesus. And I got to watch her give herself to church and discipleship. And I, I was there when she got on a plane and moved to Africa to be a missionary. And I was there when she said, I do, to a man of God who loves Jesus and married him. Something we never thought was going to happen. <laughs> and now from 1,100 miles away, Kate and I get to watch her raise her family, raise her two daughters in a home that loves Jesus for the kingdom. It's for other people. You living radically, it's what you're called for. It's what you're called to. It's what you're made for. And it's not just for you, it's for others. As I, as I close here, I just can't help but think, as you read that Hebrews 11, just that, just the amazing feats of faith. And I can't help but think, it runs in the family. It runs in our blood. If you're a believer in the room, this is your inheritance. To live radically to not be reasonable, to not let your radical be reduced to reasonable because you're not made for a reasonable walk with Jesus. I'm not calling us to something new. I'm calling us back to what we were made for. Why don't you go ahead and stand up? The band wants to come up. We're going to end just as we began by just worshiping Jesus. Wherever you are in the room tonight, you're made for adventure with Jesus. You're made for stories that don't make sense, not for the sake of stories, but for the sake of your life in God. You weren't made for a boring existence. Your relationship with Jesus wasn't made to be boring and you don't have to settle for, I guess, this is my portion. I guess hopelessness and all the messed up stuff in my life, I guess that's just what I'm called to. We're called to believe again. We're called to be people of hope. I want to invite our leaders down front. I'm going to pray over us. We're going to worship. We're going to leave this front open here. If anyone just wants to meet with Jesus, just get on their knees. It's time to hope again. It's time to believe again. I can't get up here and talk about us believing in a revival and yet settle for reasonable in our faith. Let me pray for us. Jesus, you're worthy. You're worthy of the hard yeses. You're, you're worthy of the, of the unreasonable yes in our heart to say we will go where you call us. We will obey what you put in front of us because we want you. You're the prize. Jesus, you're the prize. It's not stories. It's not being able to say I'm radical. It's you. It's your presence. It's being a part of what you're doing. It's being a part of what we're made to be and how we're made to operate. Jesus, you're worthy in this place. And I pray right now that you would reignite hope all over the room. 
where hope has died, where hope, where we have either chosen or just let hope die, would you resurrect it, Jesus, in a way only you can? That you might be glorified through us hoping and us believing and us trusting and us putting our weight on what we believe, that we would be a church and a family that people can see that something's different. We actually put our money where our mouth is. We actually trust you to be who you say you are, that our lives would look different. We honor you in this place. Spirit, we welcome you to move. Amen.